And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Deja vu. Double header. I'll just use the same jokes I always do when we do two of these. But uh, no, doing very well. Uh, I'm realizing too, like, getting very, very close to your big moment this weekend. And uh, like every show we do is another step closer to that. So it's kind of, it's, I'm very, very excited for you. I think this show is going to come out after. So the show uh, will come out <laughs> far after my wedding, but we're recording it before I get married because we're having yeah. to play with time a little bit because I'm going to be gone we for are. a couple of weeks. But uh, very exciting stuff on the horizon both hopefully in my life and on this podcast. We very much appreciate all the questions again. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. We have a great time doing these. They're extremely yeah. fun. And I think they're just a really good exercise to do in the off season. So let's get going. Edward Farrar says, hello, Robert and Nate. Ed from Reading in the UK here. Said, as a Bengals fan, I know how stubborn the front office is. So a draft time T Higgins trade was never happening. My question is, with the last cheap years of Burrow incoming and a Jamar Chase extension, a complete certainty, if I were Duke to- if you were Duke Tobin and decided you couldn't play- pay two receivers long term, how long would you be willing to not extend Higgins and get him on the tag for his fifth year to go all the way on this window, but knowing you'd be getting into a fight with David Mujagueta and piss off a very popular player? Or would you sign that contract and deal with those roster building issues a couple years down the line, knowing your Super Bowl window is right now? Uh, I would, I think this window is this year is a great window right now. I would, I would tag him <laughs> um, and then figure it out later, try and figure out the extension later, but at least have that tag. I mean, we've seen other teams do this. The Bucks did this with Godwin yeah. right after they've already signed Mike, Ed- Mike Evans. So it's not like the end of the world. Um, it's, they do have to thread a needle. You already see the transitioning happening. We've talked about this on several shows where you see them trying now to invest in the defense and youth in the defense and cheap talent on the defense because they know their offense is about to get expensive. Um, so you already see some movement. So I think, I think the tag is very possible. They just did it with Jesse Bates. Um, yeah, it didn't make Bates happy, but it, it's, you know, it's one way, <laughs> one way to put a band aid on a bullet hole. So I, I think, you know, Higgins is going to get a pretty penny on the open market. Like he, he absolutely would if he made it that far. So I think the Bengals should find any means possible to get him because he is so important to what they do. And having that dynamic, incredible receiver pairing, it makes them so explosive as an offense, especially with Burrow. So it's a hard needle to thread, a tiny hole to thread, but. There's means to do it if they're willing to do it. I would it's just, hard. I would just extend them. If you can, yeah. I, I would just I would just extend them. I mean, you they're going to have plenty of cap space. Maybe it's a cash issue if you're giving out the Burrow extension this offseason. You don't want to give them a huge deal. At the same offseason, you're potentially going to pay Burrow. But they have a lot of financial flexibility. They have right, ways to do it. Right now, if they move on from Joe Mixon in the next year, which I, I assume that they will, okay, they'd have $70 million in cap space. And I know it's more than just a next year consideration, but 
I think that they have so many potential cheap incoming players on defense. They've made sure that they can hopefully rely on some younger players at corner, at safety, maybe even at edge rusher after drafting Miles Murphy. Like, I think that they're going to try to go cheap on defense. I would just pay them. Tyler Boyd's going to be gone. You hopefully have a ready-made replacement for Tyler Boyd with the guy that you drafted this year. So even if you have two expensive receivers, an expensive left tackle, and an expensive quarterback, if you save in other areas of your roster – I have no issues with just giving him the extension he deserves. And that expensive left tackle is very uh, movable yeah. <laughs> very quickly. So they can, yeah, they can get creative with it. Like that's, I think that maybe my answer kind of like didn't really say that. I was like, I think you have to find a way to get him because he's so important to what they do or keep him around. I just think that I, I could see the tag being the first step and then finding the extension after that. Yeah, as that's possible. To, as opposed to maybe the Bates situation where it was tag, tag, gone. Um, I they I think they need to because especially with just how the team configuration is going to be. So he's yeah. such a good player. Yeah, I, I think that he's necessary to what you want to build there. Oh, and again, yeah. like you can't pay three receivers, but by the time you pay him, you won't be paying Tyler Boyd yep. anymore. And I think that they, you're probably saying goodbye to Tyler Boyd, but Tyler, he's going to be on the wrong side of 30. Like uh, what T. Higgins can be for your team moving forward and how important he's been to who you guys are right now. I just think that you try to give him an extension. And you mentioned him, but yeah, Charlie Jones, who they drafted yep. in the fourth round. I I'm a fan of, I, I I think he's a great slot option and a good returner. So like, like you said, they have a potential replacement right away already on the roster who can be the fourth this year. That's nice. Um, And then you can maybe, if he's like, okay, we, this is a guy, it gives you options. And it, as opposed to like Boyd's gone and it's like, oh, we got to fill, fill a hole. That's when you get into the danger zone. It's like, we have to fill this. But having a guy that can potentially do it, it's also just a nice answer as well. All right, let's get to our first voicemail here. Hey, guys. Um, just wanted to call and have a very off-season question for you. Um, so I was thinking about salary cap structures, and um, I don't know a lot about these other leagues necessarily, but I did some research. And in the past 20 years, it looks like the NFL and Major League Baseball have had 13 unique champions. The NBA has had 10, and then the English Premier League has had six. Um, all these leagues have different, you know, salary structures. Um, my understanding is that especially European soccer has the most lax regarding trades and salaries, and I think that's probably why we see so few unique champions in, in leagues all throughout Europe for soccer. What I wanted to ask you guys is, if you if there were really loose rules regarding trades and salary cap in the NFL, like, how do you think that would affect the league? Um, and I'm thinking specifically about how the Chiefs are always, you know, you talk about how unprecedented it is, how many AFC championships they've made it to. But, like, let's say they could have kept Tyreek Hill and any offensive line pieces and also attracted, like, Von Miller and all these other stars because they were building a juggernaut. Like, do you think we would just see them in the Super Bowl every year? Or do you think they're, the NFL has a different competition structure where, like, injuries would prevent, um, you know, true dominance for like three, four or five years in a row. Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks. I like this question because I've never really thought about it before. Mm-hmm. That's why I like questions like this. What, do you, what do you What do you think? I, I would say, well, the competition structure, that is what makes NFL different. It's one game playoffs. Yeah. It's also, that, that 13 champions, that is a very skewed number because of the Patriots. It's, it was, it'd be way more than that if the Patriots didn't exist. <laughs> didn't exist. Yeah. Yes. Which also speaks to God, what they did. <laughs> um, that's why it's even more impressive as time even goes on. Um, but also in like English, you know, Premier League or even all soccer leagues outside the U.S., you know, there's no playoffs. So it's just, Hey, it's season long. Best team generally wins because it's a ra- double round robin. So everyone plays each other twice. It's a season-long war of attrition. Um, So I think that's where there's that big difference because I think in the NFL especially, you look at NBA, 
best of seven. MLB, best of five, best of seven. They're doing other things now with the wild card. Baseball has has a little bit more of a variance where just anything can happen with pitchers yeah. and everything. So, of course, that's going to happen. But generally, you know, it's you know, better team is going to win. But also, I just think NFL is about just getting to the dance. So that that is just the one thing as far as competition difference. But I also think just uh, as, far, as far as this question, like teams like the Cowboys would have some fun. It's about There's money. There's no sour cap. Yeah, it's all about it's, money. It's, it's, who's got the most cash on hand is willing to throw it around. I, it, that's the Chief, all it is. The Chiefs, theoretically, yeah, they could pay whoever to play around Patrick Mahomes. But like the Chiefs aren't rolling around in cash no. the way that no. some of these other organizations are. So I think you would see cash-rich teams – be more successful and some of the smaller quieter benefits we see from them like what the rams have been able to do at times because they're just willing to convert a bunch of bonus money what the eagles are able to do sometimes because they want to throw money around that would just be just the prevailing way to build the best teams in the nfl which it's not that'd be the majority way it gives you a slight edge now it would give you a huge advantage if there was no salary cap and also if there's no draft that is the other thing. Yeah, if yeah, you, yeah. Like that, that if there was no draft and it was just hey, pay to the highest bidder, then it's just yeah, best the deepest pockets teams are going to find a way to win. The draft would keep some balance of it, but yeah, it'd just be the teams with the deepest pockets would find ways to find that advantage. Just just like just look at the undrafted free agent uh, paying structures that these teams do every season. The Cowboys are at the top every year because they're like, well, we're going to pay a million and a half guaranteed to bonuses where other teams like the Bengals are paying like 35,000 total. Uh, so that's, you know, that's where you can kind of see like glimpses of what would happen if it was truly an open market for everybody else. That's why the salary cap does make the league more competitive, right? Yeah. Like there's more parity. It, it makes it more interesting in some ways. It's definitely a way to suppress labor, but it still makes the league more competitive and more balanced every single year. Yep. And it's only 17 games, 17 game season. Anything can happen. That's and a four game playoff, like one game at a time. Anything can happen. And that's, that's the fun of it. I think that's why any given Sunday is a, a saying that sticks and holds true. All right. Drew Demore says, Robert, I heard you pour your heart out for the cheesy gordita crunch and said aloud to my girlfriend that I had found my people. I replayed her your discussion about your favorite fast food places. And she said something I absolutely wasn't expecting her to say. It was something fun that I thought you could discuss on the show. Is that really what he'd buy while watching Red Zone, though? It's Sunday game day. You're at home with an unlimited fridge and a couple hours before kickoff. What are you going to make? For additional fun, let's say three of your best friends are coming to watch you. What do you make for the group? So... These are two importantly different, que- like important different questions. For me, I don't eat heavy stuff on Sunday because I have to I. work, Correct. so I can't eat like a I whole snack pe- all day. Yeah, I eat like a salad and like try to work out in the morning, which I know is a really lame answer, but it they're long days. Yes. So if I'm eating like garbage, there's just no way I'm going to make it with a clear head until 11:30 p.m. So I'm yeah. typically pretty good on days where I'm not working. I don't really have like a go-to game day thing. When I watch it with my brother, sometimes we'll get like a ton of different wings or yep. just like pizza. I yep. um, I, so yeah, those are like my typical things. It's not anything super interesting for game day just because I don't watch a lot of games with a bunch of people typically. But I have a different answer for like when people come over. But what what is your answer? No, I'm the same way. I – Sunday has never been like a uh, a fun day for me yeah. <laughs> my entire life. I've been working. I even in my youth, I was a ball boy on Sundays. Like I was working. I was folding towels, like picking up like garbage from the floor. It's like truly. Uh and then college same thing. Um uh when I was playing and everything. So I'm 
for me on a Sunday, I usually eat like leftovers and just snack, graze snacks throughout the day, eat, you know, green pea snaps or chips and fruits and veggies. I just eat throughout the day just for the answers you get laid out. If I'm cooking for people, if, say I did have, say like right now, we're having right now the Golden Knights are making a run in the playoffs and I have some people over and I'm yeah. cooking for them. That would be like my best equivalent for it. I love making sausage and peppers and I like making varieties of that for everyone. I think everyone likes that kind of stuff and it kind of, you can make a sandwich out of it. I, I've been experimenting with a nice garlic bread, bread <laughs> kind of thing for it. been experimenting, but I like doing that on the grill. I like having chips or chips and dip of some sort varieties. I like having like three different chips. I'm a huge fan of dips. A lot of dip yeah. varieties. I like like a simple like Doritos or something and then two chips that you can like dip. I like having just a bunch uh, because I don't know. I get a little peeved when people just have like one chip item and it's just like Fritos or something. I'm like, come on. Uh, but also, I'm a big fan now as an adult uh, of a charcuterie board uh, of yes. various meats and cheeses and stuff. I think that's a great adult snack and it fills people up, especially if they're drinking. Uh, and then also, if I'm going fancy and I really want to show off for my friends, I, my, my newfound grilling skills. There's a butcher near me in Vegas that I absolutely love that's about five minutes away. And I get their Korean short ribs there or carne asada. And I've cooked a couple times for my friends with those. And those are great little snacks just to eat for people. So that's kind of my what I do now at age 33. I don't really have true staples. We have we do we host every once in a while, and whenever we host, I I just like to cook for people. Like I I don't like don't bring anything. Like just bring your body and whatever you want to drink. And so I love I love making dips. Like just making a like a spinach and artichoke dip and like zhuzhing it up with like some different t- sorts of flavors and like a cast iron skillet. Like it's very, it's it's soothing to me. Like watching <laughs> it all melt together and like making yeah. it. That's why I love making mac and cheese. The same kind of deal. It's just like there's something very soothing to me about making homemade mac and cheese. And so that those kind of dips. There's a uh, whipped feta dip that I love making. I think Ooh. it's a New York Times recipe with like charred scallions in it. That's like very very I've been good. Big on the New York Times recipes lately. New York Times cooking, plug, man. Not not a plug for our parent company, but I I really have been into the New York Times cooking app lately. Uh, the last month or so. All those kind of things. I love like making a buffalo chicken dip just from scratch. It's really fun. So just nice. all. I make several kinds of dips. Huge fan of the charcuterie board with a lot of different sorts of like things on it, like yes. a little like pepper jelly and like yes. some candied pecans and stuff yeah, like that. Nuts. So yeah. I always have a charcuterie board, and I just love making something big like on the smoker. Like we had a friend's giving last year. I smoked a turkey for the first time, which Very was nice. really fun. And then I also made a duck in the oven. And then when people are that. yeah yeah that's right that's people right. are coming that's over right. in the that's summer, I just love making stuff on the smoker. So like I'll make. I'll make brisket or I'll make like a bunch of ribs or I'll make pulled pork or whatever. Just those kind of like big barbecues where I'll make that potato salad, mac and cheese, and then like a bunch of different kinds of dips. And I'll be in the kitchen for like 10 hours in case it'll be like, why wouldn't you just let someone bring something? I was like, no, it's not how it works. It's my house. I always remember that you're Italian. Like just oh like my that, God. that that was such an Italian answer though. Like it's, you're in the kitchen my the mom. whole day. Yeah. It's my that mom. That is such it, an Italian thing. My, <laughs> it would drive my dad insane where we would have people over and there would be 15 people that would come to the house and my mom would kick for 40. And yeah. that's exactly how I do it. And yeah. it's, it drives my fiance insane. As my wife, my, by the time you listen to this. Yeah, but right. Yes. At, as a family of, even though we're mostly Irish, uh, but everyone thinks my parents are Italian because they have the thick New York accents and they're darker skinned and everything. But I would say we're Olive Garden Italian, which is a microbial micro- yes. joke. Yes. And my, my, but my mom is, my parents are the same way. They're both great cooks. My sister's a great cook. A lot of my aunts are great cooks. And so now I'm like, okay, I can't embarrass my family. The last couple of years, I've really picked up my game, but they're the same way. My mom will be in the kitchen, like 4th of July was like an eight hour cooking experience for her. And then she would come out and just be like, you, 
it was like she just went to battle. <laughs> she, but she, like, just like your mom just cooks. 10 people there, there's enough food for 30 people. And my dad would love it and have leftovers for the next five days. He loved it. So he he, he did not mind whatsoever. But yeah, cooking is good for the soul. It, it really is. And food's good for the soul. <laughs> this I love I love the communal experience of all that, like cooking for somebody. And them my, food is it. one of my favorite things. All right. Absolutely, it is. I, I, oh, I, I definitely don't need like validation at all. I decided to be a writer for a living. Do you, you think those things translate where like I need people to like the things that I cook for them? No, no way. No way that's like a deeply <laughs> ingrained part of my personality looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right. Anthony Amangaro says, I really enjoy your podcast and think you do a great job at balancing breadth and in-depth coverage on a range of football topics. I have a question about NFL team Super Bowl windows and how to keep them open. I think when you factor chance and luck into any given season, it's probably wiser to look at a team's window to win a Super Bowl over an X-year time frame rather than any one year. I'm a Bengals fan, so they guide my thinking in this area. I want them to be in every AFC championship at Super Bowl, and hopefully they get one in the near future. My question is, what do you think is the right balance between going all in versus building a window of, say, five years? Typically, you see teams do one of two things. They make splash moves for big-time free agents or trades, the Bills picking up Von Miller, or they try to recoup draft capital and become more solid, the Chiefs trading Tyreek Hill. I know this is a simplified picture of what teams can do, but what do you think the avenues for getting to winning Super Bowls are for teams like the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Eagles, and Niners, a.k.a. teams that are really solid and who you imagine should be in the mix for the next few years? It's a good question. It's a tough question. It is. It is tough. Um, I think the grand five-year plan is always something you want, but it rarely actually happens. It unfolds like that. And Something the term uh, I've always come to and we've talked about is like the ability to pivot, I think, is the most important thing for team building. Um, sometimes the, that pivot is 
hey, we got a little window here. Let's let's push it. Let's push it. Let's let's trade for let's trade for Odell Beckham. You know, what's or you know, or Von Miller. Or uh, they didn't trade for Odell. They signed him, right? Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, yeah. let's trade let's trade for Von Miller. What's uh or like last year with Von Bill signing Von Miller is another example. Um, uh, but also it's understanding you have a chance, but you're not a lock. This is kind of a continuation of the question we had before. It you just have to get to the dance and then you have to understand it's like once we get to the playoffs, like, you know, we just hopefully we can make a run. Hopefully the stars align where we can make that run. Health luck is always going to be a big thing. Um, so that's why I, I think it's always best to think of teams like playoff team or final four contender as opposed to like they're the Super Bowl lock because so much shit can happen. Um, and you just never know what happens when the chips are on the table and when you could push your chips. So I think it's more of like a two year plan, like mid mid. That's kind of a cop out answer, but that's where I think more of what it is team building. It's more of like a two year plan outside of quarterback, of course, but or even a three year plan, especially with how contracts are constructed. That's how contracts are kind of going. It's like in two and three year increments um, where they can get out and pivot out of stuff. So that's not like a great answer, but I think it's just you have to have a lot of self awareness and understand and not ignore some noise that might be positive and maybe be realistic about if, Hey man, we, man, we, we won 12 games last year, but then it's like, yeah, we had this bounce our way. We had this bounce our way. We were perfectly healthy and understand that helps you out in the short and midterm. So I don't know if that's like a good answer for this, but I think it's just a, give yourself the opportunity to pivot and push when you need to and reset a bit when you need to. I think it also depends on where you're at in your financial clock, right? Yeah. So the Chiefs were super, super aggressive when Patrick Mahomes was on his rookie contract, that's when you saw them go do things like the Frank Clark trade mm-hmm. where they were signing these guys and it was like, all right, let's really push our chips in here. And when your quarterback is really expensive, you have to move into a different mindset. And that's what's like, all right, we need to get cheaper at these couple different positions yeah. because this is the way that we're going to sustain this. And you see them, you know, resetting the offensive line with a couple cheap guys and even like the Donovan Smith trade like that's just like on on, on the margins move where it's like okay it's nine million bucks we're gonna get a little better here you just can't take as big of swings yeah and I, I hate to break it to the person who asked this question but I don't think the Bengals are ever gonna go all in like that's just not gonna happen that's so because these teams that that, that's just not how they operate. They don't no. give guys guarantees until like year two of contracts. So they're never going to leverage their future to make themselves put, try to put themselves over the top in the present. Do you know how much dead money the Bengals have on their books for 2023? It's not a lot, right? $600,000. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say $2 million tops. They don't have any beyond this. They have not a single dollar in dead money in 2024. Clean books. That's, but that's yeah. always how they've done it, right? Yeah, and, it is. And I think that there, it, it, it also depends on how real, how short is the window realistically, right? Yeah. So like the Bucks are a very good example here, okay? Yes. The Bucks were like this, where the yes. Bucks had no money pushed into future years ever. It's just not how they operated. But with Tom Brady, your window is short. Like mm-hmm. it's with Josh Allen, even if you think your Super Bowl window is like the next couple of years, you hope that Josh Allen's your quarterback for the next decade. You hope that Joe mm-hmm. Burrow's your quarterback for the next decade. Joe Burrow has said this, like the window is as long as I'm here. But if you're a team like the Bucks, they mm-hmm. did start pushing money into future years and doing stuff they wouldn't have otherwise because they understood we only have a couple of years to try to do this. And yep. I understand that line of thinking. Rams, same deal with Matthew Stafford. And you have to live with the consequences. But when you're building around a 25-year-old all-pro quarterback, I don't think you should ever leverage your future when that guy's going to be expensive because you want to just give yourself a chance every single year. There's no, no sense in like torpedoing any year two years down the line. 
we we've talked about this that one of the coolest things when it's a young successful quarterback that we watch and usually with a head coach is you see the different configurations of those teams over the years that's what you want to do it's sometimes man we're an offense juggernaut with a young defense and it's like okay now the defense is a strength but we have a good quarterback all right well that's how we're gonna have to build it's just always moving and making sure the math makes sense and moving the puzzle pieces so it makes sense but when you have a young quarterback under contract, like like you said, Allen, hopefully Burrow soon, Mahomes, these guys, it gives you kind of some nice, we can always fall back on this guy. So let's make sure everything else makes sense. And sometimes you have to be a little bit more aggressive because of other guys' contracts. But I think that's what it is, too, is that like sometimes you, you know when to push, sometimes know when to throttle back. Sometimes you know when to get more draft picks because you got to get cheaper on one side of the ball like the Chiefs did with their defenses last year. So. I think just the ability to be flexible with that stuff is the most important thing. Another good example of this to me is what the Dolphins have done this offseason, where it's like yeah. we got a cheap quarterback yeah. that coming into yeah. this year. Like this is our chance. Like well, he's cheap, and like what we get out of him if he's healthy, we're getting decent value on it right now. So mm-hmm. we should just try to maximize this particular window. And ju- just look at teams near the top of the league in cash spending. Okay, the Browns are number one because they had to convert Watson's contract again and they've really tried to push it in here. The Ravens, the Bills, the Eagles, and the Dolphins are the teams in the top five this year. Yeah. Okay. And those are the teams that's like, all right, we're going to try to push it a little bit. So I think that you're always trying to maximize your window a little bit when you have a good quarterback, but you don't want to sacrifice future years. That's a very good way to put it. I I like that. Very succinct. (laughs) All right. Next voicemail here, Bowler. Let's do it. Hey, guys. This is Michael Bleach from Milwaukee. I am just listening to your cold take show. And as you went through Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson, it struck me that a lot of the things that's kind of surprised us and brought them to having bad years last year apply to Aaron Rodgers this year. You know, he might have too much control over the offense, going to a new team, he's getting older, maybe doesn't want to take hits anymore, even if the arm strength is still good, maybe his mentality with those uh, performative deep balls speaks to something. So I was just curious what you think the risk rating, what's the meter on Aaron Rodgers this year? Thanks, guys. Bye. Uh, what's your answer? Uh, I, I had like a six. Uh, I um, think I, it's pretty high. Yeah, I seven, mean, six, seven is where I, I put it down on paper. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I'll say this. Okay, as a difference from like Matt Ryan, there were warning signs with Matt Ryan's arm and everything. Yeah, correct. That, and I ignored it. <laughs> um, and I shouldn't have. Rodgers still has the S-tier throws in his body, and it was on film last year you know, a couple times a game, and I think it was more the, and we talked about this on the QB draft show, was I think it was more just sometimes he just didn't want to take those risks. I think he was just kind of in kind of a little bit of an effort mode, not an effort like, effort, I'm going to try this, more like effort, I'm over this kind of mode. Um, I think he has a lot more incentive to be more aggressive this year. I think his legs are, you know, getting a little older. I think that's where you see a little bit more of the changes. Him as a runner, I mean, he's forty, makes sense. But I still think the arm talent is there. I also got you got to remember why the risk is there is that one big point of contention was the what we talked about with the Packers, you know, wanting that pick if Rodgers plays seventy five percent because the Jets are going. What if he retires after this year? That is where the risk is. It's not this year. It's after this year um, is where a lot of the risk is going to come in. It's a high wire act they're doing with a guy that's been a bit flaky. So that's that's scary to want to build a team around. But we talk about windows. They know this is their window and they're going to push it. So 
All There's right. a ton of risk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you don't know what you're getting from the guy. He's going to be 40 years old. It, the dynamics within the offense. I mean, we have he's worked with Nathaniel Hackett before, but Matt LaFleur was the play caller for the yes, Packers. He correct. was in charge of the offense. And I think that there absolutely was an element of, all right, we want you to play this way. Like it took them a while to kind of come to, I think, a middle ground within yeah. their relationship where they got the best versions of one another. And now if you don't have LaFleur there to kind of be that authoritative voice as part of that discussion, I absolutely think that that could be a bad thing for the Jets offense. So yeah. you have that element, you have just his level of engagement. There is a ton of risk here and there always was when they made this move. But I think we've come back to this a couple different times as part of the conversation. You have to do it. Have to do like it. it's worth the risk. Even, yeah, it, it can be a eight out of ten on the risk scale and still be the right move. Like both yep. of those things can be true, and that's kind of yes. how I feel about it. I, I agree. I, I I love your point with Lafleur there, and I you mentioned this several times over the years about how that balance. The first year they're like, I want to do that. Rogers likes to control a lot. When he was with McCarthy, he would make up the hand signals, and the coaches would be like, "What what was that?" The coaches didn't even know what the hand signals were. And so, like, because he was just go rogue on him. And, okay, that was McCarthy. And then when LaFleur got there, and if anyone's heard LaFleur talk or has known him, he's very direct. Uh, he is very <laughs> – there's not a lot of sugar with how he talks. There's not a lot of sweetness with how he talks. He is very blunt. Um, so I think that's where Hackett was – where his value was he was the mediator. Yeah. In between Rodgers and LaFleur. But now LaFleur is not there, so it's Hackett. And uh, maybe he learned his lessons with Russ. Uh, maybe not leaning into all like the rogue stuff. I also want to say this: Rogers got frustrated with some of those receivers last year. You know, he made sure everyone knew when you know he didn't think it was his fault. And hey, hey, that young guy didn't do anything right. He made sure everyone knew that. Uh, Garrett Wilson <laughs> will talk back, and Garrett Wilson has a big personality. And so I'm, I think there's going to be some fireworks in good ways, and maybe some uh, some some sideline ways between Garrett Wilson and Aaron Rodgers this year. So I just want to throw that in there as well. But it is risky, but you have to do it. I, I you really do. This is where the Jets are at this point. This is where Rodgers is at this point in his career. I love Michael just being somebody from Wisconsin trying to talk himself into how much of a risk this is for the Jets. It's so transparent, and I deeply appreciate it. <laughs> Packers fans are so like in tune with the like Justice Mosqueda does Acme Pack <laughs> from Acme for S uh, SB Nation covers the Packers. Oh my God, he knows so much about the Jets' contracts, <laughs> their picks. Like he knows their depth chart. They are they. It's their team. B it was like Seahawks fans last year with the Broncos. They were so invested in everything the Broncos were doing because now they do they do have some investment in how they how they uh, end up in their results. All right, next one here. Alex Porter says Nate mentioned something during the defensive coaches in new places episode that sparked my curiosity. The basic gist of it was that while Steve Wilkes is a good coach, we'll see how he handles driving the Ferrari that is the 49ers defense. Yeah, it got me thinking. Are there certain coaches or certain schemes that are relatively better suited for more or less talented units? Obviously, a scheme will always look better with better talent compared to worse talent. But are there certain schemes that you trust to mask a talent deficient unit? To give a more concrete example, if your defense is devoid of talent, is it better to have a simpler Gus Bradley, Matt Eberflew scheme or a more complicated Brandon Staley scheme? It's a good question. It is. Uh, I've always been a big believer that the more talent you have, the simpler your scheme can be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just look at the Legion of Boom defenses. That's, that's the example. <laughs> that's the exa They literally ran two plays, guys. They're in cover three and man, like for years, and they're like stumping Peyton Manning, like you know, and, and Philip Rivers and stuff. Um, and the 49ers, Jets, and Cowboys are recently kind of good examples of that as too. They're not 
that crazy in what they do on the back end. They might bring some blitzes, but I mean, the Cowboys ran man and cover two last year. <laughs> That's kind of what they did. Um, so I think my answer is, is that, yeah, if, this is just defense too, is that if you have lesser talent, but you have guys that can maybe get it or we can coach them up, then like a Staley scheme, this example, his second half of the year scheme where he was a lot more exotic and changing up the looks or a chaotic Wink Martindale scheme or Brian Flores, Patriots types defense. That might be, might not be the best example because you have to be very heady in that defense. But but the, the Dred- Dolphins version of Brian Flores, I, th- I think, is yeah, a good example. Yeah. yeah. When they're in the, the tank year. I mean, he had those guys running around. But I think you have to dress the hell out of stuff to try and confuse the quarterback, mix up looks, disguise looks, throw everything, the kitchen sink at offenses, um, aggressive as hell. Blitzes, simulate pressures. I think if you don't have the talent advantage on defense, that's how you have to win. Um, I think being the Mel Tucker Bears is the team that always sticks out to me, that they would just sit in quarters and like cover three, play after play with a defense that had no talent on it. And they're just getting shredded because it was like, oh, you're just going to run quarters every step with no disguises or anything. Um Mel Tucker's done things afterwards, but I just, just remember a, that. Just a terrible two-year stretch of Bears. You remember that, right? It was bad. Because <laughs> I'm watching on TV, and I can tell you what coverage they were with no study of them. And I'm like, that's cover three. That's quarters. Like, every single time. Now imagine an NFL quarterback. Um, but that's a way to give yourself an advantage, at least defensive-wise. And if, you, if you're like talented, you're both average – Average offense versus average defense. Well, hopefully we out scheme them, out coach them up by being more exotic and pressure, 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 pressure. You win with aggression. I have always been a believer in that. If you are lesser, you have to win with aggression. I think that applies to all sports because you have to force the other team's hand. I don't think it's an accident that the Giants in a year where they really couldn't add a single piece on their defense because of the constraints that they were looking at and how they built things. They hired Wink Martindale to be their defensive coordinator. And Chaos. I do not think it's an arg- an accident. That in a year where the Vikings don't have a lot on defense, they don't mm-hmm. have a lot of corner, they didn't have a lot of resources to go add players at those positions, hire Brian Flores to be their defensive coordinator. Correct. I think I think you can learn a lot from those sorts of decisions. So yep. I think that would be my answer defensively, is just try to create as much chaos and confusion as yep. you possibly can, because you can't be simple. It's gash or be gashed. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're going to let up some. Ex- I'd rather lose quickly than lose over a long game where it's like, oh, man, oh, we're a tight game. And then we lose by two scores, three scores because we just kept staying in quarters or covered two the whole game. I mean, like so. last year's Vikings. Correct. That's exactly it. Um, and then offensively, I think the best offense for uh, if you have lesser talent is a zone running scheme because that's a great Sh- sum of parts. Shanahan. Shanahan. Yeah. Bootlegs, play action, zone running scheme. Oh, who runs that? <laughs> is this why every quarterback can play well in that offense? Oh wow, wow! That's that's there seems to be something something some there that we should uh, talk about. Sometimes. I would go. We've talked a lot about this team specifically on the Athletic Football Show in a very weird way, but I would go look at the personnel on the 2009 or 2008 Houston Texans mm-hmm. and just look at Matt Schaub stats within that offense. Look at what the running backs did within that offense. They didn't have a bunch of maulers on the offensive line. You know, they had Dwayne Brown, but they had a 250 pound center. You know, they yeah. just they didn't have that many guys outside of like Andre Johnson. And so every time you bring up that center, his weight drops 20 pounds. <laughs> I think you said 290 a few weeks ago. Then you said 270. <laughs> now he's 250. I wonder what he I think I, he was like, he was like listed like 280 something. I think, I think you, he was listed at 285. Two eighty five, right? He was listed at two eighty five. Okay? Listed, which means two sixty something, probably during the season. He went to two Pro Bowls. He was a, just a very solid player. Hey. And guess where he was drafted? By the way, well, he he wasn't drafted, but guess oh yeah, he was drafted. He was drafted in the sixth round. Guess what team drafted? Sixth him? round, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, Denver. Yes, 
He was drafted yeah, by the Broncos and then went and yeah. signed with the Texans. Okay, of so that, that's the, the exact answer. On the other side, on the flip side, what we've seen from versions of the Peyton Manning offense, I think, is the if you just have better players than the oh, other yeah. team, right? So you go look at what the Peyton Manning Colts were, even at times what the Peyton Manning Broncos were, and then the, I think, current iteration of this at times is what the Bengals have been. Correct. And that's, guess that's... what? The Bengals' offensive coordinator was on the staff with the Broncos when Peyton Manning was there in Denver. Wow, um, look at that. <laughs> so I, I think that there are a lot of aspects to the Peyton Manning passing game and what the Bengals yep. do right now. And when you have better players, you can do that. And that's why the Bucks, uh, Bruce Arians' offense with Brady and yep. all those receivers and that offense aligned, they were doing the plays that are were better than you plays and the plays that the Bengals do, 989. Uh, which is <laughs> it's the simplest football play possible. And it's truly if you have a quarterback that put the ball in the money and receivers that make plays, just why not run it five times a game? But then also run game wise, the Bucks would run duo, which and that's what the Bengals did last year, too. But that's a truly we have better talent than you up front and we're going to bully you around. That's that's why I like a good duo team, uh, because it's really fun when you see that kind of level of dominance when a team does it well. But, yeah, I think the Bengals passing game. And that, again, we talked about this all the time. That's why the Bengals offense was so fun to watch last year because of all the stuff they added on, all the stuff that they were doing that changed it up or different reads on the same plays. That's why they became so much more fun as opposed to the simplest answer that they did before. All right. Let's get to our next voicemail. Hey, guys. My name is Ryan. I'm from Edina. Um, my question today is I was listening to your most recent podcast about uh, defensive coordinator moves. And. While it seems really great that you guys are so effusive and positive about all the hires, it got me thinking, are there any uh, hires in recent memory, whether offensive or defensive, uh, that maybe you didn't like or at the very least left uh, left you scratching your head? It seems like in the off season, especially around this time, everybody's so positive about their hires with their team, about what their team's doing in their roster moves that nobody wants to see. Nobody wants to criticize uh, coordinator hires or coaching hires because it's so early in the season. If you come across any coaching uh, or coordinator hires that left you wondering what the team was doing. Thanks. Bye. It's a reasonable question. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's go, go for it. Let's go. <laughs> it's a reasonable question because I think we were pretty effusive in our praise of those moves. But I'll I'll say if you look at those moves specifically, okay, those mm-hmm. like five that we talked about, it's a lot of retreads who've shown success in the NFL yes. as defensive coordinators. Yep. So I think that's part of it is that it's not hard to get excited about Vic Fangio, like what Brian Flores has yep. done. And, and again, talking about the talent that they have, I think Jim Schwartz is another good example of this mm-hmm. where even if – and I think the, the other thing is – and defensive coordinator specifically, I think it's important. I have kind of been more hesitant about kind of slamming guys that we think we know because guys who've been retreads at that spot, there have been a couple different examples where it's like, okay, you know, maybe I should mm-hmm. just slow down a little bit. Like what Dan Quinn has been for the Cowboys, I think is a really good example of somebody that we think we know what he is. And in reality, you can tweak and get better as you get older and and you can learn how you can improve as a coach, period. And then what I think that there is value sometimes in getting a defensive coordinator who just stops the bleeding a little bit and can just be somebody that's solid for you. And that's what Gus Bradley has been for the Colts. Like I wasn't super excited about it, but they've been fine on defense because Mm -hmm. he's fine. And Mm -hmm. then on the unknown side of it, I want to reserve judgment because we often don't know. You know, so like Brandon, I didn't know Brandon Staley was when he got hired to be the 
Rams defensive coordinator. I, know. I didn't know who Ben Johnson was when he got elevated to be the Lions offensive coordinator. I didn't Arthur Smith, they hired a tight ends coach from the staff and I was like, that's kind of boring. And then Arthur Smith was one of the best play callers in the league for a while. So the only time I think I really get down on some of these hires is when they're retreads for offensive coordinators where we have seen their ceiling and seen that they've gotten enough chances where it's hard to get excited about this. Like every time Brian Schottenheimer has gotten another shot, it's kind of like, okay, like I, right. I, th- I think we know, you know, like, yeah. I, I think we know what this is at that point. So that's really the only time where I'm like, okay, I'm out on this because yeah. every other time, like with Ryan Nielsen going to Atlanta, I understand the thinking. I don't know if he's mm-hmm. going to be good or bad, but I understand the thinking behind it. So yeah. that's typically my thought process behind yeah. these moves when they're made. And I just thought this crop of defensive coordinators was like, oh, like the guys you just laid out, like Schwartz and 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 Brian Flores. You're just kind of like, oh, okay. I like I they've had success and success where it, there is some f- uh, philosophy with what they're doing. It's so where an identity really does help. I mean, I know what Gus Bradley runs most of the time. I know exactly what he's going to run. He has changed it up a little bit, but I think maybe if I get down, I actually probably get more down on offensive guys because I think that's where you can see the fingerprints more. I think defense is just, a, uh, you know, talent's going to help you out, of yeah. course, on either side of the ball. But I think offense is where you see really, like, because play calling is play calling. Defense, you could have a bad play call, but a player can really just help you out <laughs> and way to make a tackle offense. It's like, wow, what the hell was that? So, like, you know, like the Giants had Jason Garrett as offensive coordinator. It's yeah, like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yep. Like, really? That's, that's a good could, example. Like, the Cowboys hired other, like, three other play callers because they didn't want him calling plays. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had really the Patriots last year with Patricia and Joe judge. Like, it's kind of like, what are you guys, what are you guys doing here? Um, I would even say the jets in 2019 where they had Gase and Dow Loggins. And I was just, okay. <laughs> like this is the gruesome twosome. Uh, like that's what you guys are going for. But that's where I kind of, I think the Schottenheimer example is a great example where it's like, we know what you are. Um, you're not doing anything that really moves me, makes me feel anything, you know, not, fanning any flames and then i would even say from a college level to a pro level would be the steelers going with matt canada and again i have to watch what they did in the second half of the year but when i was watching the first half of the year and his first year as a play caller with big ben uh, i was kind of like yeah this is what he does a lot of motions a lot of sloppiness a lot of plays that aren't sound and so i think sometimes i have some priors that you need to change and sometimes i'm they don't ever get changed those are all good examples i think the the jason garrett one is is good because Guys who were head coaches and either didn't become head coaches because of their play calling acumen or it had been so long ago that we have no sense of what they are as play callers. Anthony Lynn would be another good example of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like Anthony Lynn was hired to be the Lions offensive coordinator and he didn't even make it through the season. Like it's just because that's not what he was. He that's not why he became a head coach in the league. So and like if Matt Nagy had been hired as an offensive coordinator immediately on a staff that was not the Chiefs, where he was calling plays again, that I'd be like, all right, like we'll see how that goes. But we just haven't really seen that many instances of that recently, and we didn't see any of that this offseason. It's it's another. I think another step too is that we've talked about, you know, teams are generally getting smarter and, and younger and everything. And I think we see a little bit of this with the retreads. I mean, shoot, in the 2000s, up until mid 2010s, I mean, it was all West Coast guys. Every West Coast guy would just keep getting job after job after job after job. And it's just like, okay, and everybody's running the same stuff. So I think now we're getting some freshness with some new ideas, which I think is nice. We're at this league, the league's going through a transition right now. You look at it at the quarterbacks, and I think you're going through with the front offices and the coaches right now as well. 
another example from this class, if we didn't talk about the offensive play callers, and we will, I have my doubts about how it's going to work out with Nathaniel Hackett and the Jets for the oh, yeah. exact yep. reason that we yep, just yep, talked yep. about. Like that would yep. be the one where I was like, all right, hold on to your hats. He's never put a good offense on his own. Put a good offense out there on his own. Like even his best year with the Jags was kind of like, eh. <laughs> uh, so I know. So there's not a lot of good prior history there outside of Aaron Rodgers and the floor. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Next question here. Chris Freeman says, what is the benefit of having quarterback cornerbacks who don't travel? Sauce Gardner plays exclusively on the left, seemingly making him easy to phase out. Richard Sherman also didn't travel, so it obviously has worked, but can you explain the concept? Why would a defense want to be so predictable? Sauce is such mm. a unique talent, a true shutdown corner. I fear his Hall of Fame skills will be wasted by unimaginative coaches dedicated to his system. What's your answer to this? Yeah, I, I've never really gotten the specifics from like a coach of like why they like to do it, but this is just my theory as an offensive guy and what I've gathered. Um, well, typically they always go on the quarterback's right hand side, uh, because that's their theory is that that's the open side for a right handed quarterback. So it'd be the defense's left. So that's why you see a lot better edge rushers are the right tackle and the best corner would be to the right hand side of the quarterback. Um, they're just saying that's going to make it harder. They like it for consistency. 
Uh, the corner doesn't have to worry about where he's aligning unless it's special, special circumstances or calls. Um, he can just play his game from that side and work the same side. You don't have to worry about the offense trying to manipulate him. Oh, they're traveling the, okay, now Devontae Adams is on my side. Now he's traveling over. I don't have to carry over and communicate. I just hang here and make my check. And now I know this formation. I, I think that's another thing too, is that there's some nuance when you're going like some more game plan nuance that can happen as the game unfolds. Oh, it's the tight end upside this time. The last time they did this, they did a high low. Oh, it's the two receiver to me this side. Okay, they can do this, this, and this. Oh, it's just the main. It's just DeAndre Hopkins to me. Okay, all right. So I'm now on one on one. So I think that's what it channels. It's a give and take with it. I understand the pros and cons of it, but that's my theory of why um, they want to do it that way. It's just they get a feel for that side. Just think of like a left or right tackle that you know. Left side, left side, left side. You build up some muscle memory. And then that way it just becomes more normal for you from that side over and over and again, especially how you're kicking in your hips and your movement and your backpedal and all that. So that's my way of looking at it from an offensive side. And I think I think that's the reason why they do it. It's in pursuit of soundness is my guess. It's just like we know – the communication stays the same. You know, it's and we're no, we know we're going to be in a good spot. Like we're yeah. making it easy on our guys, even if we're making it a little bit easier on you. And mm-hmm. I think that there probably is some value in that, especially when you're not playing a ton of man coverage. Yeah. Like if you're playing zone and it's just about different, like it's easy, just whatever different zones you're playing. Yeah. So I, I think that that's absolutely uh, something that and- those guys are chasing. And how those cover how coverages are now, especially like a cover three or even quarters now, like that. You're, there's there's still man elements to it. You know, there's some yeah. di- subtle differences, but it's still playing man. <laughs> like you're still like locking down a guy. Generally, sometimes it's man everywhere he goes. Meg, that's the acronym they use. Uh, defensive coaches. I, I, I like act like they're like a totally different type of person. I'm like that's what they use. <laughs> so, uh, but that, but seriously, there's some more man elements to it. Um, so you know, it's not like the true. Oh, it's only man, only zone. There's some hybridness yeah. uh, to to what their the responsibilities are. All right, Nathan Polonenko says, "Big fan of the show. Love the consistent in depth analysis during the season and off season." Said, so "Here's the question: I'm a Ravens fan who is in need of a reality check. Where can this go wrong?" A happy, healthy, and wealthy Lamar, a new OC that will bring a passing scheme that won't rely solely on Lamar making plays, a revamped wide receiver group with Bateman, Odell, Flowers, and Aguilar, Andrews likely in Kohler at tight end, above average offensive line, switch to the defense, arguably the best safety duo in the league. I think that's probably a little aggressive. (laughs) Marlon Humphrey and Rocky Senate corner, arguably the best middle linebacker with Roquan, paired with Queen and the rookie Trenton Simpson. The D-line doesn't have a lot of flashy names. But Pierce coming back, I'm out of BK, Broderick Washington, Travis Jones, they should be a serviceable group. Ojaba with a full training camp, along with Bowser and Odafe OA on the edge. Might just be seeing this through purple-tinted glasses, but barring a 2021 injury se- nightmare season repeat, this roster looks primed for a deep playoff run. Please either give me a reality check or jump on the bandwagon. I wanted to answer this question because I do think that we've been fairly optimistic about what the Ravens could look like this year, yeah. and I think it is worth trying cold to water it. Tr- throw some cold water on it and think yeah. about where we might be overly optimistic about the Ravens. Yeah. My, my first like note to myself to like talk about was like, they were my pick for conference finalists last year with the Chiefs and the AFC. So yeah, I, how do you think I feel about them this year? Yeah, I do feel pretty good. But I would say first and foremost is the lack of pass rush uh, will be the, that's the biggest glaring thing I, we I see. We talked about that with Mina when we, yes. when we did our roster reset show. Yes, I think that's did. absolutely worth bringing up. 
And it is. And to me, that's the most glaring issue. I would say that, you know, the linebacker was an issue and they definitely solved that with Roquan and he's been great for Patrick Queen and and kind of settling him down as a pro. Um, But I do think they need juice in the pass rush. They can maybe find some mercenaries. Um, uh, The back end, I I do like. I think Hamilton was great in the slot. I want to see him more in the post or or deeper and see what he can do from there. And I do like the offense. Um, I just want to, I know we're supposed to be pouring cold water. Do want to talk about J.K. Dobbins is. Like he's coming back. Like he's yeah. <laughs> he came back in week fourteen. So I, I did a little stat research in those four regular season games. He averaged seven yards a carry. He was good. Yeah, he was really very, explosive. Very explosive. That's what I was scared of because when he came back early in twenty twenty two, he was dragging the leg a little bit, and I was like, oh, oh, that's not good. That's like, and then he came, got hurt, kind of got cleaned up again, came back for the four week stretch, and yeah, seventh in rush success rate, third in runs of five or more yards, and first in percentage of runs of ten or more yards. In the one playoff game he had over a hundred total yards. So remember him on offense. I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. But offensive line is fine. I wouldn't say it's an overwhelming unit. How's Ronnie Stanley's health? You know, so I would say the offense is okay. I want to see Tyler Linderbaum. I think he's gonna take a leap this year. Uh, he was good last year. Um so I, I, I am pretty optimistic about it, but if I had to say that's the line play would be my biggest kind of question mark looking at this team. All right. I'm, I'm ready for this because I think there's plenty of stuff to dig into. I am bullish and optimistic about what Lamar is going to look like in this offense. Oh, I'm yeah. excited to watch Lamar Jackson play this type of football with a guy like Todd Mockett. It was my, one of my favorite hires of the offseason purely from an entertainment perspective. Mm-hmm. We have no idea if it's going to work. True. I, I think all of us, we talk, We did it on our quarterback draft show last month. We're excited about Lamar's untapped potential. But there is absolutely a world and a timeline where he Peter principles himself and rises to the level of his incompetence as a passer within this offense where it's just like, this is the ceiling. Like he, yeah. There's not another level to him as a passer in a more advanced passing game. I think there is, but we have not seen it. So That's I true. think that is absolutely worth bringing up the receivers are a better idea potentially than they are in practice okay we haven't seen odell beckham play in over a year he's 30 and will be 31 by the by the end of this season and he's had trouble staying healthy rashad bateman's had plenty of trouble staying healthy okay and we, we just have not seen him be effective for long periods of time and zay flowers is a rookie so even if they're better than they were last year, there is a chance that if they're really leaning on those guys within the offense, we realize their limitations at a certain point here. On defense, Rocky Sin was available in May. Like I, It's not like he's some plug-and-play high-end mm-hmm. corner. So And the corner depth, I think, after that, you ha- can have some real questions about it. And like you said, we have not seen Kyle Hamilton play that version of safety. So even if you liked what he did in the slot last year, them losing Chuck Clark and losing some of that flexibility on the back end is worth asking a question about. And that's before you even get to the lack of bodies and the lack of pocket pass rusher. So mm-hmm. th- those are, I am all that being said, I am excited about the Ravens, but those yes. are the ways that I would throw yeah. cold water on the conversation. And, and- Depth is always the thing. <laughs> That's the I, I, right now. We always talk about. Oh yeah, look at this starter. Look at this starter. Guess what? Injuries crop up no matter what. And so when you start having to. Rob Peter to pay Paul to fill out the holes. That that's an absolute important thing to note. And just like even the question noted, like it was a season from hell with the injuries and everything. Like that's what can happen very easily. And if you don't have answers for that, it can go askew. All right, that's all, right. all we got. Woo. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all of the questions. We will continue to roll this out. 
please go rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, it would mean a lot to me. I'd really appreciate it if you guys took the time to do that. And very excited to be back with you for regularly scheduled programming starting a little bit later this week. So thank you to Nate for holding down the fort and hosting a couple episodes while I was gone. Meant a lot that we could continue to keep giving you guys four shows a week. So thank you very much and uh, excited to keep things rolling throughout the summer. Talk to you guys soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.